It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio, and thank you very much for joining us this morning. A couple weeks ago, I had Carrie Luft of the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation on the show, and we were talking about the Conservation Reserve Program and about time. And when I say time, we were talking about do we have time to really enjoy the outdoors post COVID the way we did during COVID? And I promised, Carrie, I'd have you back on as soon as I could. And here we are two weeks later to talk about a couple of things that we didn't have a chance to talk about. And so thank you very much for being with me this morning, Carrie. My pleasure, Charlie. Good morning to you. And Carrie, as you, those of you who listen to the show frequently know, Carrie Luft is one of the really inquisitive minds in conservation and a superb writer. And uh, Carrie, I say this, you do you do a lot of good for those who love the outdoors, and thank you for taking your time on WGN Radio. So, Carrie, we were talking about the Conservation Reserve Program a little bit last time, and we're going to lead into that. But something has occurred, which um, I was reading a report, and then I talked to an individual at the Department of Agriculture the other day, knowing you and I are going to talk about this. And, and they said that the biggest impediment to expanding the conservation reserve program is the fact that there is a cap on a entity's or person's adjusted gross income, so your AGI, if you will. And if you exceed a certain level, you are not allowed to enroll in any of these government conservation programs, whether it be the conservation reserve program, whether it be the wetland reserve program, the WIP program, all these programs. So. I said, well, how big an impediment is that? And they said it's huge because as farming has gotten bigger and land, land, you know, it's gotten much larger to farm, the income of individuals has gone up. And many, many, many individuals, according to the Department of Agriculture, who would like to enroll their property in conservation programs are not actually farmers. They have other jobs. Right, they're land they're, 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 Right. Yeah, and, and, and so their income exceeds that. The federal government will allow them to enroll. And I, and I find, you know, why do we work at such cross-purposes, Gary? Well, Charlie, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's one of the greatest things ever. And I'm sure that this was portrayed uh, by well-meaning people as a way to help the little guy. But the reality, as you well point out, is that um, the people who are owning the land on which our agriculture is being carried out, they they own a lot, they tend to own a lot of it, and they tend because of that to be wealthier people with other investments, and they have high um, high incomes. So you know this is this is one of these uh, situations where uh, what's probably a well intended move is ultimately hurting us. You know it it, it kind of calls to mind one of the uh, conversations we've had many times about the backlog of farmers in the Dakotas who would love to have conservation easements on some of their wetlands 
And there's a backlog of them waiting to do it. We just haven't figured out a way to uh, to ease that backlog. There's plenty of good, high-quality wetlands that would be wonderful for waterfowl breeding habitat uh, that farmers would be happy to get uh, put into reserve programs. But uh, there's been no money for that. So uh, the American farmer should not be held up as the bogeyman. Um, they're people trying to make a living the same as us. And uh, if... If we don't incentivize them and make it uh, good business for them to uh, practice conservation policy, then shame on us because we're, you know, we wouldn't ask a, I've used this analogy, I believe, on your show before. We wouldn't ask a a factory owner to voluntarily shut down 10% of his or her factory simply because it's the right thing to do. Why would we do that to a farmer? Well, and, and take on top of that, the whole objective of these conservation programs is to take land that is environmentally sensitive and do good things with it. And sure. it shouldn't matter what the income of the individual is who owns that land. Yeah. I mean, that to me is self-defeating. What's the, what's the real thing here? Are we trying to protect the land? Then you have to protect the land no matter who owns it. And, and we, as we've said many times as well, Charlie, the federal government does not, or any government, they don't own enough land, uh, nor probably should they own enough land to truly influence conservation. Conservation in this country has to happen be, uh, in the hands of the private landowner, and we need to make it viable for that person, for those people, uh, plain and simple. We're visiting with Carrie Luft of the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation, and I think if you haven't heard Kerry before, you, you, you now quickly understand why he is viewed as such a thought leader in this area. So, Kerry, building on this discussion, we have all this momentum coming for conservation, and it appears, shockingly, that there's no end to the amount of money that might be coming. And I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But now we have this new initiative, Conservation 3030, which yeah. potentially is the biggest of all time. Can you start trying to tell us what this is all about and how is it going to maybe affect us? Okay, 30 by 30 is a pledge that many com- countries in the, in the world are taking, and it's to have 30% of a country's land uh, conserved by 2030, 30% by 3030. And one important distinction here is that conserved does not mean set aside. I mean, we are drawing some very good distinctions, in my opinion, um, to make a distinction between conserved land and protected land. And the difference is conserved lands are what we're talking about with the Conservation Reserve Program. They're not in perpetuity, but they are set aside into conservation-related programs. That's really important, Charlie, because, you know, they're flexible. They allow, they allow farmers to adapt to and landowners to adapt to changing times, yet they still have enormous environmental uh, benefits, not the least of which is that in the CRP, as you know, Charlie, the, it's the newer, it's the earlier cycle of CRP that is so beneficial for pheasants and sharp-tailed grouse and the other birds you and I like to chase in the fall, as well as the songbirds that nest there and also the ducks that nest there. I mean, 
wildlife really benefits when we have rotating habitat on the grasslands, and CRP is big for that. But I'm getting away from that. 50 countries have committed to this 30 by 30 program, and uh, the Biden administration has come out. I, I think it was really encouraging to say, look, this is not just protectionism. It's conserving. And uh, that goes all the way back to Theodore Roosevelt. So in case you haven't heard this before, remember this. Conservation does not mean putting your resources aside in perpetuity. It's the wise use and stewardship of your resources. And that has been the mantra of the American conservationist since the days of uh, our spiritual father, Theodore Roosevelt. And, and a subject, Terry, for another show is how we ended up bifurcating conservation from environmentalists. I yeah. consider myself an environmentalist because I'm a conservationist. And yet I find that but it's got to be another show, Carrie, because uh, this is so deep as far as how we have ended up with conservationists and environmentalists at odds at almost at, at almost every turn, it seems like. Well, so, there, but, but on this, there, have been, there have been some real uh, misappropriations of the semantical connotations, because as you're right, you're absolutely right, Charlie. I'm a conservationist and I'm also an environmentalist, but I do not believe that in all cases, putting land aside in perpetuity and just letting it sit is a good idea. In fact, it, sometimes it's a very bad idea, Charlie. Um, assume, we need to manage our environments for maximum impact and maximum benefit, not only for our wildlife, but also for our, our human population. And that is why I'm so encouraged to hear that the Biden administration is pointedly talking about conserving acreage. I mean, if this comes through, Charlie, we're looking at an additional conservation twice the size of Texas. That's well, let's take a break, because it's always a good idea to hear what Chevrolet has to say, Kerry. Let's take a break, and when we come back, I'd like to talk about really, so conservation 30 by 30, we know what the 50,000-foot view is, what are its chances, and what has to be done. It's a, it's a fabulous idea. We'll be back in just a moment. We're visiting with Carrie Luft of the Maximum Girl Wildlife Foundation, and you're listening to Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN, and first a message from our longtime sponsor in the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert. Sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are. Communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology. Tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. We're visiting with Carrie Luft of the Max McGraw Wildlife Foundation and 
Barry, as you so often do, you're enlightening us on efforts to do with conservation, agriculture, and the government. Um, you know a lot about this intersection. Um, and this 30 by 30 bill, not bill, but initiative that is worldwide, 30% of, of North America's or America's landscape to be used for conservation purposes in the year, by the year 2030. So, so Carrie, we got, we got eight and a half years to get this done. What are the chances? You know, I think, you know, look, I, I've given up on political suits saying, uh, uh, I never know what's going to happen next, although it does seem to be calmer in, the, in recent months. But I like what I'm seeing for its chances, Charlie. And the reason for that is I'm going to give the Biden administration some kudos here. Um, they listened to the concerns of farmers, ranchers, the Farm Bureau, hunting and fishing organizations. And under the proposal that the Biden administration recently released, got a lot of details to be fleshed out. But there's some real signs that it reached out to those people and and said, we hear you and we're going to work with you. Uh, for example, it suggests that the government's going to consider that farming, ranching and hunting lands could be part of those uh, of the 30 percent goals so long as they're managed sustainably. And that's that's a pretty big runway to work with. And, you know, they're talking about using this to expand voluntary conservation programs like CRP, WRP on working lands. And and this is another big win that I have to say, I don't think anybody saw this coming from a potential Biden administration. It's opening up more public land to hunting and fishing. You know, not too long ago, in we've had a lot of good and surprising news out of the Biden administration, and I have to give them credit for that. Uh, they've opened up a proposal to expand hunting and fishing on 90 uh, wildlife refuges and one national fish hatchery. That's the largest expansion of that access in history. 2.1 million acres are being opened up to public hunting and fishing. Um, I don't know what I could say bad about it, even if I wanted to. Then couple that with the expansion of CRP's cap. I think these are some really positive signs that hunting and fish, hunting and fishing advocates, as well as anybody who likes the outdoors and wildlife, you should be very encouraged by this. Well, I, I would agree with you, Carrie, that we did not see this coming. I have a longtime friend, Eric Washburn in Washington, D.C., who uh, had a big role in this. And, I, and, and it's, it's very positive. The Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, uh, <clears throat> TRCP, has been behind this. I think pleasantly, pleasantly, we're very surprised. And, and, and the notion of opening up more national wildlife refuges to hunting uh, is, is something that, that's terrific. And I'll give credit where credit's due. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. So, and, um, and, and, well, and as you well know, Charlie, there's been a lot of opposition in the West to the notion of public lands. And this 30 for 30 proposal is really saying, look, well, you can keep your lands. If you manage them sustainably, they will count towards this 30%. And I think that's terrific. I mean, it's, it's showing responsiveness to the concerns of the people who own the land. And sometimes, Charlie, and I, I don't think this is Republican or Democrat. I think it's just how it's been. I don't think that's been the case over the years. And I think well, you can probably confirm that. For too long, 
For too long, we have thought that conservation was a gun issue. And the NRA, and I'm not going to pick on them today, they're getting, they got plenty of problems. They yep. made it that way because it was to their advantage. Conservation and guns are not tied to, they're not, sure, you can't hunt without a gun, but, but making conservation a guns rights issue, as the NRA, frankly, successfully did for quite a while, um, did a disservice to the conservation efforts in general. And I think we're seeing some of that unwinding, and let's hope it continues. Carrie, I'm going to switch for a moment here. Sure, uh, sure. Because I have, I'm, we've got about three minutes left. Um, you know a lot about this. You, you hunt at the Northbrook Gun Club. You shoot at the Northbrook Gun Club. Regularly. You don't hunt there. Right. No, you don't hunt there. You hunt for clay targets there. Uh, yeah. you're, you're a certified shooting instructor. You're really good at this. You've won, you've won many shooting events. You're a high, high quality clay target shooter. And, and everything I'm hearing, and I'm getting lots of emails and calls on this, is I can't find any ammunition to go shoot clay targets. I can't find any bullets to go shoot anything. Can you, in a couple minutes, tell us what is going on? Because it, it, it appears to be real. <laughs> Yeah, it is real. There's no doubt about it. Um, well, it's, it, it, you know, I hate to use cliche, but it's kind of a perfect storm. First, we had one of the big three ammunition companies, Remington, uh, declare bankruptcy last year and only produced a fraction of its overall output. So just to, be, to begin with, you had fewer shells on the market. Um, then COVID hit. And not only did that affect manufacturers here in the country, in this country, like Winchester and, and federal ammunition, but, uh, you know, you can have people working side by side in many cases, but a lot of the shotgun shells sold in this country are made with components that are brought in from France and Italy, and those countries shut down completely as well, and so the, the flow of components, of the five components you need to make a shot shell, they just weren't coming into the country. Uh, the manufacturers emptied out their warehouses, Everything got sold, and now they're frantically trying to catch up, and they're making this stuff and shipping it out as fast as they can, and they're not building up inventory. Most gun clubs around America, and I'm talking about shotgun clubs, they're rationing your what you can buy there. Uh, maybe a case a day. Maybe uh, they'll say, how many, how many target uh, events have you signed up for? You can buy that many shells. But uh, it's a real concern. And, you know, we do know that a lot of people bought guns for the first time. Um, I don't think, I think that had a big effect on the pistol and perhaps the rifle market. Um, I don't think those are the people who are going out and buying, uh, light trap loads, uh, for, uh, no. for their first gun. Um, this is just a shortage. And when people see it, they back up the truck and they buy it. And that just makes the problem worse. Well, thank you for that excellent, excellent. Explanation, Carrie, and I thank you so much for being with us this morning. And all of you, thank you for listening. I hope you have a great week in the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago in America, 720 WGN.